This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest Liverpool Blood Red podcast with me, Ian Doyle, and a very damp Ian Doyle at that as well. It's absolutely bad to sit down here in Liverpool. Uh, joining me, we have today Beth Lindup. Hello. Hello. Uh, you obviously cover, cover women's football and it's uh, pretty exciting for the, certainly England's team at the moment. It is, yeah. They've been faring slightly better than Liverpool have over these last sort of couple of months. So uh, yeah, but excited to dive back into all things Liverpool for today. Okay, and also we've got Steve Killen. Hello, how are you doing? Afternoon, very good. It's the uh, first time I've seen you on this podcast with yeah, me anyway. It's yeah. a debut, debut for me. It was no. a debut of any, any podcast. Well, it, we, Most, are, yeah. we are honoured, we're honoured. Anyway, so we're here obviously the day after Liverpool opened the Premier League campaign with a one-all draw at Chelsea. I was down there, slightly uh, warmer and, uh, less, and less rainy actually than it is here at the moment. But Liverpool got off to a good start, Beth. Got that goal through Luis Diaz there, uh, but... Really, it was the Mohamed Salah's disallowed goal, which was you know, a tight call, but you know you can't argue with the lines these days. And from that moment on, Chelsea, certainly for a good 45 minutes, were the, were the better team, weren't they? They seemed to take inspiration from the fact that they weren't 2-0 down. Yeah, absolutely. I think that felt, as soon as that goal got chalked off, that Mohamed Salah goal, you sort of felt that like that might be the turning point of the game. You know, had that gone 2-0, I think Chelsea might perhaps have, you know, the ghosts of last season might have come home to roost a little bit and might have got a little bit nervy and could have potentially got a little bit messy for them but that was a you know a bit of a reprieve after as you said Liverpool started really well and then from that point on Liverpool weren't really in the game were they and I think as soon as Chelsea got the the equaliser I never really felt Liverpool were going to go on to win it apart from you know perhaps late on when those substitutes come on Harvey Elliott, Ben Doak they sort of brought a little bit more energy Darwin Nunes obviously a little bit unlucky not to get that that winner near the end I mean what a story that would have been for him to come on and, and get the winner but um, yeah, it was after a, a fast start. It was a, again a reverting back to to the problems of last season. Defensively, we looked incredibly vulnerable. Um, and yeah, as a lot of people have pointed out, I think it sort of completely highlighted why Liverpool were prepared to break the British transfer record for for Moises Caicedo. We'll we'll come on to all the transfers in a bit, Steve. But yeah, your take on the game? Would you pretty much agree with that? Did, were you surprised by anything that Liverpool did? Because if you've seen the games during the summer, that it was pretty much you knew they were going to be quite good going forward, but a little bit open defensively. Surprised they can see more. Obviously, we've seen them conceding three or th- three or four every time. Um, but I'm not not necessarily shocked. I don't think. Um, obviously, you can sort of expect to be defensively susceptible to attacks when you sort of throw it together. Uh, like Klopp said, he's one formation for them for now and not for the rest of the season. So. I think we've done well to get a point and then just move on to Bournemouth now. Were there any individual performances that stood out? I mean, obviously the goalkeeper, Alison Becker, he, he made a couple of good saves, certainly in the second half. But, you know, Mo Salah will come on to him in a sec, but certainly in the first half, he was probably the game's best player, wasn't he? Yeah, and McAllister as well, I have good mention for him, because he sort of anchored the, the play a bit, but you could tell he's not used to that role. Um, sometimes getting dragged out of position, not following his runners, but like, you, you can... You can imagine that for someone who's not played that position that much, if at all. Uh, talking to McAllister, I only gave him a six in the ratings, and quite a few people had a go at me, which is unlike <laughs> them, you know, to be fair. Makes That's a unlike them. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I agree. I thought that he struggled a little bit with the defensive responsibilities in the first half. There was about two or three times where he lost the ball or got didn't so much lose the ball as it was taken off him near the, near the area. So, going forward, he obviously put the ball through for, for Salah to, mm-hmm. to cross for Diaz to get the opener. 
I mean, do you feel a little bit, not sorry for it, but do you feel as though he deserved a little bit better given the fact that he was actually making, forget, he was making a competitive Liverpool debut, wasn't he? Yeah, and he's playing in a role that, yes, he can play and, and has played at times before, but it's not his favourite position. And I think that that's a shame. I think for both him and Dominic Sabozlai coming into this team, you would like them to be able to, to get off the mark quickly and, and to do that by playing in the, the favoured positions and having a stable midfield around them and, and sort of a, a midfield anchor behind them and, and obviously Liverpool's recruitment strategy over the last few weeks which I'm sure we'll get into I think has is, is, is meant that they've maybe had to sort of plug some holes in midfield we saw Cody Gakpo dropping into midfield I mean he was you know sort of the, that run toward the end of the season where Liverpool were unbeaten in was it 11 toward the end of the season yeah. you know I think Cody Gakpo's form in that false nine role was, was instrumental to that so I think again the fact that he's had to drop back and, and play in midfield sort of shows you that, that Liverpool are sort of going into this season with sort of a slightly makeshift team in, in some positions. And so for the likes of McAllister, yes, he, you know, he, I thought he did well at times. I think, you know, that ball for, for Mo in, in, in the build-up to Diaz's goal shows you the quality that he possesses. And, and I thought he, he did OK. But yeah, I think until he's got that, that number six behind him that, that can really sort of allow him to, to get forward and, and play in a slightly more advanced role, we're not going to see the best of him. What did you make of Gakpo midfield? Again, a little bit. It was was kind of you know, square pegs and round holes, wasn't it? He played there once last season against Brentford in the home game, and but I actually think that he played in that one for two reasons. One, there wasn't anyone else left, uh, which is a little bit like it was uh, <clears throat> a little bit like it was on uh, on Sunday. But for his height at set pieces, whereas he didn't really need that uh, on Sunday, it just didn't really seem to work, did it? Because he he seemed to be caught a little bit. He didn't know whether to get mm. forward as much. And the one time that he did, he seemed to. He put that ball in for Salah, didn't he? Which was behind him and ended up Salah ended up hitting the bar. Um, but defensively, kind of the game got bypassed, didn't it? A little bit around you, him. You can see with the, the glimpses that he, when Liverpool been crying out for that midfield goal scoring from midfield, he can bring that. But as I said, the game just sort of bypassed him. Um, and then when for the goal, he sort of just looking around. He didn't really know where to be. It's like the, the point I made at the start when you sort of throw a team together and obviously Klopp said he's played there in pre-season they should be, get used to it but probably it's a tough ask especially against the likes of um, Enzo and, and Gallagher but even Gallagher struggled as well but I think you probably would maybe go for Gakpo favour forward going forward I mean because obviously they will come on to <clears throat> what they can do over the next couple of days because they're playing Bournemouth on Saturday but would you be surprised if you saw Gakpo there again? It depends what happens in the next few days, doesn't it? But even still, I think probably Klopp's settled for maybe a stopgap for now. Yeah, but I hope it's not going to be for the long term. So you can see he's going to struggle. And you probably miss what sort of Gakpo is learning from Firmino before the end of the season. You're going to lose that way. Jota sort of played a bit part from the left and in the middle. I think it sort of evokes memories of, of that horrendous season where Liverpool lost all the centre-backs and... They were suddenly plugging the defensive gaps with, with midfielders. They had Fabinho and Jordan Henderson at, at centre back. And actually, when Nat Phillips and Reese Williams came in, although sort of their quality on the ball perhaps isn't you know to the level of, of Fabinho or Jordan Henderson, the fact that they were centre backs playing centre back um, actually just really helped the team and, and and allowed for a bit of stability. So I think again, you don't want to be sort of plugging holes with players who are playing completely out of position. And while Gakpo can play there, it should be a last resort. It shouldn't be something that Liverpool are trying to do for you know the first few weeks of the season. It should be in, in an absolute emergency. So you you would hope that they they get someone in, or or then maybe you put Curtis Jones in there. I mean, I know he didn't have the, the best cameo yesterday, but he is at least a, a midfielder and so playing in midfield. Because don't forget, it's only the first game. I think we can get a bit carried away. I mean, any season, if you go to Chelsea 
irrelevant of what the situation is and you get a positive result, it's normally quite a good good scoreline. Um, but for Chelsea's point of view, Pochettino's first game, the crowd were kind of up for it, although it was a bit weird when they scored. There didn't seem to be a massive cheer. It was <laughs> odd. It was like, I think they didn't see who scored, and I must admit, I didn't know at the time. And their goal was a little bit spawny, let's be honest. It's yeah. just one of those... What you might say, though, about Liverpool is that for all of that, and people were expecting them, and you mentioned that they expect them to concede more, defensively, they were actually pretty resolute. You know, Alisson had two saves to make in the second half, and there was that strange situation in injury time when Mudrich ended up going through, despite the fact that Liverpool had a corner. I mean, don't get me started on that. But otherwise, they kind of kept them a little bit at bay, didn't they? And I think we were just mentioning just before we came on that you thought the second half was quite dull. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, I think we've we've become pretty accust- pretty accustomed now to seeing Liverpool and Chelsea play out draws, and I mean, it was just a, a relief that we got two goals for yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it was. You know, I was someone in the office the other day said, "Oh, it's a good time to be playing Chelsea first game of the season," and they're they're not quite there yet. They've not quite got the squad together, and I, I'm always anxious when we go away and, and play Chelsea. It's always a tough game, and there's better Liverpool better Liverpool sides that have, have gone to Stamford Bridge and and been been beaten so you know it, it's it was a better point for Liverpool yesterday I think on the balance of play than it was for Chelsea and you know the fact that they were at home and, and the new manager balance and you know so I, I think it, Liverpool have to take that point and it is something to build on but I think you know they were probably lucky that that they didn't get beat as much as, as Chelsea didn't have too many sort of real clear-cut chances the momentum was with them for for most of the game but yeah, I think a point at, at the end of the day, Liverpool do have to be to be happy with that. But yeah, they, they need to book up their ideas quickly defensively, I think. What can they do then, other than sign somebody? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, Bournemouth aren't going to be Chelsea. And if there's one game where, with that, no disrespect to Bournemouth whatsoever, but if there's one game that you would like to think that you can get by without a ready-made, proven defensive midfielder, it's going to be Bournemouth at home because you're probably going to get most of the ball. And that, that actually, that was the one concern that I had from the game on uh, Sunday so they've played 35% mm. possession you never normally see that they just kept on giving the ball away and I understand that that came from having so many players out of position and certain you know, standards of players missing but you know they're going to have to start keeping the ball a little bit better if they want to do anything this season aren't they? Yeah that's, that's the thing with Liverpool like you can see sometimes going forward they're absolutely phenomenal and ferocious now at the back it's, um, it's a bit shady and shoddy at times but if you get bypassed and think We've seen last season how easy it was to get from back to front with Liverpool, a bit of stability is needed. The same with, with Beth saying playing Chelsea is probably the best time to play them, but playing Bournemouth could be, but with their new manager and having a good result against West Ham, it's just you don't know how they're going to come out and you don't want to chop and change too much, but maybe it is time to sort of put the foundations in place for the, the rest of the season. What, what positives are you taking from the game then? Didn't lose. That's always a good one. It's got a good goal, to be fair. They yeah. did score a good yeah. goal. And they did have a very good goal this allowed as well. So, as you say, going forward, they've certainly got. And, that, and of course, the second one was from Trent stepping into midfield. Yeah. In fact, you know, I'll ask the bird of this. What do you make of this formation? Because I'm still not convinced that that's the way they should be going because of the players that they got available. It's different when City and Arsenal play because they've been doing it for a while and they've got the players for it and moulded the squad around. Whereas Liverpool just decided in April. Oh, let's give this a go and since then I think they've let six or seven players go whether full time or on loan and uh, they've only got two in mm. Mm. but Trent Alexander-Arnold spoke about it after the game he said it, it, I think people started getting Liverpool's number a bit which it felt like years before last season but it's probably a good a good change obviously the proof's in the pudding if it works or not 
<coughs> which I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm the same as you. I'm a bit skeptical, but you've seen it. It's a good way for them to sort of create. And maybe when backs up, it's sort of struggling to unpick the locks. It could could work that way, but especially defensively, you sort of wonder. You're left wondering, aren't you? I'm left wanting to see how far how far this formation can go because when Liverpool are conceding that many chances, um, sort of need a combat to going forward, don't you? Yeah, I just don't think they've got the personnel to sustain it over a 38-game season. I think, you know, the odd game, especially sort of, again, no disrespect to Bournemouth, but the likes of Bournemouth at home, you know, that, that might be fine when everyone's fit and, and firing. But, you know, you lose Ibrahima Kanate to injury, hopefully Touchwood doesn't happen. But, you know, when we look back at his injury records, probably likely he's going to miss a couple of games this season. And then you think, well, who comes into to that role then? Do you trust Joe Gomez with that in a back three? Do you trust... Joel Matip, you know, from what we've seen in pre-season, perhaps not. So I think unless Liverpool are prepared to bring in, and it's not just the case of bringing in one defensive midfielder or one centre-back, I think if they want to play that position, that formation for the entirety of a the season, they, they need a, a good few a good few players. But I thought it was interesting what, what Trent said after the game. I think he said, you know, I feel like I can control the game more from midfield which, you know, there's been so much debate over, well, is he really transitioned fully into a midfielder? Is he a right-back who sometimes plays a midfield? And I think listening to what he said there almost sounded like he was suggesting perhaps he'd like to be a midfield permanently, in which case, do you go and get another right-back? Do you go and get another defender? So, yeah, it's interesting. I think at the minute, Liverpool just don't have the, the personnel to, to use that, that system, you know, as, as a long-term solution. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We'll deal with Mo Salah very briefly. Obviously, he was going for a seventh successive opening day with a with a goal. That would have been a record. And if, if he'd have scored, he would have scored the most amount of goals on the opening day in Premier League history. Yeah, I'm glad to say it's the world's greatest record, let's be honest. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just means that you were available and you played a good game on the first day. There's another 37 games to go. But he was uh, he almost got his goal with the one that was disallowed, as we mentioned before, borderline decision. But then when he, I must admit, when, he, when his number came up, I was a bit surprised. I know that his second half wasn't quite as good as his first half, but that was probably down to the fact that no one gave him a pass. Yeah. And... Uh, they brought Ben Doak on and uh, Salah reacted. I'd say he was a bit frustrated and angry, wasn't he? he? Took the tape off his off his wrists, wasn't it, or his hands, and then just threw it on the floor. And I'm just muttering to himself when he when he uh, got on the got on the bench. That was I only saw later on that it was actually television showed that because we could obviously see it when we were. We just I was just watching him all the way there, and he was not happy. Yeah. But uh, should we be concerned? I mean, do you, I mean, if a play, you surely you'd be more concerned if a player gets substituted and he's like, yes, great, glad I'm going off. <laughs> It's also it's a testament to his character, really, isn't it? Yeah. We've seen his, his post at the end of the season where he was apologising to Liverpool fans for not qualifying for the Champions League. But you get it with your star players, don't you? And like, like you said, you'd be, you'd be more concerned if your, your, your star player was running off, clapping their hands in delight that they're <laughs> not had a touch for the second half. But it's one of them things. It's something that we can talk about, but I think it's, it's not really anything, anything to really pick apart, is it? Do you think, well, don't say that, we need to talk about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you reckon it'll have just been completely forgotten about by the time they got on last night? You'd like to think so. I mean, it's not the first time we've we've seen sort of Mo get frustrated at it being taken off. We saw it again with, with, with Sadio Mane, didn't we? That infamous one at, at Burnley when he came off. And, you know, your top players do that. They get frustrated. And especially when there is a record, albeit, as you say, a slightly sketchy record. But when there's a record on the line, you know, Mo Salah, especially with his goal having been chalked off in the first half, probably wanted to get on the score sheet. I mean, 
Mo, regardless of, of what sort of game he's having, is, is the one Liverpool player I always feel is capable of producing something out of nothing. And I think that was why, you know, a lot of fans were left baffled as well as he was, obviously, in, in terms of him getting taken off. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised when he came off, I did think, you know, that there's definitely going to be a, someone trying to force a link to Saudi Arabia or something like that after after that debacle. But you, you, you mean know, like you just have now? Yeah, just yeah, like I have now, yeah. yeah. But um, there's, you know, there's definitely going to be some sort of sketchy rumours that come out after that. But no, I think it, you know, I'm sure Jurgen Klopp and, and Mo Salah will, will iron it out in the next few days, and it'll be business as usual on, on Saturday. Ben Don't came on, and I'm pretty sure that's the most minutes he's had on the pitch in a Premier League game. I think he's come on twice before. I think I can't remember. He certainly came on at Villa. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, I think there might have been another one for a couple of minutes. Don't know. Don't quote me on that. But he came on, and that, what kind of a you know, a nod of approval of to him after he, he had a very good summer. You know, there were some suggestions they might let him out on loan, but that doesn't look so that's going to happen. Is he now actually a first-team squad member, like the sixth in line of the forwards? I don't think you put it past him. He's, he's got that edge-of-seat quality, hasn't he? He's unex- you don't know what to expect from him. Probably the only thing you can maybe question is his end product, but as a 17-year-old, who's, who's the finished article, but... I'd, one of them players that you you buy and you sometimes wonder why, and he's, he's shown exactly why. Same with Diaz, he's played himself into the starting lineup on Saturday from his uh, pre-season uh, showing. So Doke's done the same. Doke's been one of, if not the best, performers in pre-season anyway. So if he get has a chance, he gets it. It's better than just leaving them to the Europa League or the yeah. Carabao Cup and FA Cup sort of lower rounds. Give them the against one of the sort of Champions League winners a few years ago, wasn't he? So I mean, what have you made of Ben Doke? Yeah, he's been he's been great to watch, and I think it's I think it's so hard for for youngsters at a club like Liverpool because you know there's a lot of people with all of this Caicedo drama saying, well, well, why don't Liverpool go out and buy the person that Brighton are going to replace him with? But then you think if Liverpool went for a a teenager from South America for four million, would that really satisfy the fan base? Would they be thrown in at the deep end? And I think when you've got a young player, it's so hard between getting that balance of of blooding them into the first team, but also you know not exposing them to to so much, you know, pressure and vitriol online if they misplace a pass. You know, I think Curtis Jones over the past couple of years has maybe been victim of that in, in making that transition from, from a youth player to, to a senior player. But yeah, he's a, a really, really exciting prospect and, and you'd like to think obviously with Liverpool being in the Europa League you'll get a couple of 90 minutes under his belt and hopefully some minutes in, in the Premier League too so a real show of faith in him by the manager to, to bring him on especially in, in place of Mo Salah so hopefully it's a, a sign of, of positive things to come for him this season. I think what I would say about Salah is that <clears throat> you look at his relationship he's had with Harvey Elliott and ever since Elliott came into the team he was the one that was encouraging him and you could tell that even when he first made his first substitute appearances or his first starts before he got injured, that's was that two, three seasons ago now? Two seasons ago, I think it was now, yeah. That they just treated him as though he was a first-team player in the sense that they didn't even think twice to give him the ball. That even if it was in difficult mm-hmm. situations, to just give it him there. They'd expect them just to be part of that. And Harvey has benefited from that because you mentioned, you know, when he, when he came on, I thought he did really, really well. And Doak's getting treated in the same way because you can see that Salah, when they are on both... I don't even sure, they must have been on the pitch together at some point. Maybe, maybe actually, I haven't said that. Maybe they've not, no. but certainly in training you can see it, and certainly the other senior players they don't even think twice about giving him the ball and and you know letting him go off and do his thing. That's the thing. He's, he's fearless, isn't he? And I think the, the, the way to sort of show your teammates that to trust you to just be fearless and just go for, go for it, which is what he does. And it, it says a lot about a seventeen-year-old who goes into a Premier League game, doesn't look overawed, and it's. 
maybe it's a testament to him, but it definitely is a testament to him, but it's also a testament to his teammates as well, the fact that he's earned that trust that he can just go go and get. Maybe you'd hope against Bournemouth if he gets a bit more of a longer run in, in the team, but it depends on the, comp- the complex of the game, doesn't it? Well, we've managed to get nearly 20 minutes into this <laughs> podcast before mentioning transfers, but it looks as though we'll have to go there now, Beth. I mean, obviously it looks like Moises Casado is going to Brighton. Uh, sorry, going from Brighton to Chelsea. <laughs> For about sixteen billion pounds. If you said it, Brian, that would be amazing. Hilarious. That would be that would be very funny. I don't think he'd be too impressed. No. To be fair, wouldn't be uh, surprised though, would it? Yeah, well, anyway. <laughs> yeah, Chelsea suddenly were, we made that money up. It was monopoly, <laughs> monopoly money, not accounts. I don't. Well, I don't think money's the problem for Chelsea in the sense of having it available, but the obviously financial fair play and other such things that are you know beyond our means and understanding. I think uh, I've had to come into play there, but. How do you think Liverpool, we'll come on to Lavia in a minute, but first of all with Casado, how do you think Liverpool come out of that? Because you've got to bear in mind that on Thursday afternoon, no one had said they were interested and now it's, it was Sunday night and then suddenly they're not going to sign him. So there was only a very small window where it was like, oh, they could, they could actually get him here and it obviously fell away because the player himself clearly wanted to, to, go, to, uh, to go to Chelsea rather than anywhere else, let alone Liverpool. I think there's sort of two ways of looking at it. I think in one sense, Liverpool come off fairly well out of the Caicedo stuff because they you know, they did everything by the book, you know, they they waited to see if Chelsea's interests would materialise into a bid. As of Thursday it hadn't and they pounced and it sort of looked like they were on course to pull off this real coup and get get a really quality player, probably for more than he's worth. But still, you know, the the, the money was there to, to, to buy him and if that deal had got over the line it would have been sort of Chelsea being ridiculed for, for not getting the business done. Um and and obviously now you know it it looks like he is going to Chelsea. Um, I think you can question maybe what the purpose of of Brighton's sort of midnight deadline on Thursday was. That that silent auction, whether it was worth though, because because Chelsea bid a hundred million, now they're paying hundred and fifty well, million for yeah. so they're not going to complain. So I think you know, I mean, it, 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 there was a report the other day that that Liverpool, there's no ill will towards Brighton after that. Um, I think, you know, I don't think maybe Brighton have come out of it in the best possible light, but they'll be, be laughing all the way to the bank, won't they? So uh, they won't care what I think. But um, but yeah, so in one sense, you, you, you can't knock Liverpool for, for trying, but I think it just, the whole saga, and we'll get on to Lavia in a minute, but the whole the way that, that this whole thing has played out sort of, is reflective of this disarray that the Liverpool have been in in the transfer market in the last couple of years, isn't it? Since Michael Edwards left, and there's been so much change behind the scenes, and there's always been this sort of worry that you know is is that going to translate into to Liverpool's transfer business? You know, we saw last summer Arthur Mello brought in sort of panic buying him on 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 deadline day, and um, and you know Liverpool, despite needing a midfield rebuild for, for quite a while and having known that they were going to be in the market for a defensive midfielder, certainly since the interest in Fabinho um, you know, materialised for them to have gone into the, the first day of the season without one um, yeah, it's not a good look for the club and, and I do worry now because you think who is out there that is going to come in and, and have that transformational impact on the squad I'm not sure there's too many players available for, for the right price that Liverpool can bring in there's always players. There's always players. There's, there's more than just Lavia and uh, Casado. I mean, <clears throat> from what I understood is that Liverpool always knew that Chelsea were going to be favourites to sign Casado, and the, the latest I've get I've heard now is that they're they're expecting them to sign Chelsea, uh, uh, Chelsea to sign Lavia as well. And I think the difference there is that Liverpool, in the same way that Manchester City, they 
have a certain value on a player like they like a player they'll put a value on him and then they might go a little bit above it but they're not going to pay ridiculous amounts and I think with Lavi he's 19 years of age and he may end up being a very good footballer I know Jurgen Klopp obviously is a big fan but Liverpool having not been more than what was it 45, 46 million pounds was 46 million pounds we're hearing that Chelsea have got a bid upwards of £60 million. They're not going to make that bid, that jump, if they don't think he's worth it. Or do you think they're now in a situation whereby, just using that as an example, because, again, we're led to believe that Labia probably has set his heart now on, on Chelsea. If they put in that situation, are they just going to have to take the hit of going from, for example, 46 to 60 just to get somebody in, even if they know they're paying over the odds this time because the clock's ticking? The season started, and the, this is a position they quite clearly need somebody to come in. It's almost damage limitation, now, isn't it? Because you've you've shown shown your cards, you've got 100, 110 million pounds in a bank, and you're quite stringent in what you're offering in the first place. But it's almost been a summer of gambles, hasn't it? Where you bring in someone for a, a short-term contract as a sporting director, and we've known that the midfield's been a problem area for a number of seasons now. And now you you fast forward to the, um, the second game of the season on the horizon. You're going into the second game without another new signing, so you've got the same midfield, and you, if not, you've got a shorter hand. But the Liverpool obviously going to come out a bit badly, and it's up to them whether they want to like swallow the bitter pill of paying over the odds for him. But who knows? And this time next year, we could be looking at probably 130 million pound players, and paying 60 million for a 19 year old might be a good thing. But if Liverpool, if Klopp fancies him that much, you've got to go for him because obviously it's. His decision, it is his decision at the end of the day, isn't it? Mm. So he's got to because they're going to have to bring somebody in. Because I mean, Klopp said two weeks ago, was it two and a half weeks ago, three weeks ago, that he said definitely we'd have somebody in. Mm. Unprompted, by the way, he was just talking about something else. It was on the on, the, on actually on the club website and one of the podcasts he was talking mm. about new players coming in. He said, yeah, we'll definitely have at least one new player in for the start of the season. Well, he wouldn't have said that if he hadn't been told that it was almost certain going to be happening. And as we've just pointed out, quite a lot of stuff has happened for it to not happen, or at least not yet. Um, has, he, can he, has he got a right to feel let down a bit? Has he got a right to feel a bit let down overall over the summer? In fact, since January, because obviously it was the Bellingham situation. And I know that Liverpool, some Liverpool fans will go, well, how could you afford that bid for Casale if you can't afford Bellingham? But mm. don't forget that they didn't expect to get £52 million for Henderson Fabinho. So that does show that they probably had another £50 million to spend on a player. It would be, could have been someone like Lavia or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now they're left with this, let's just say for argument's sake, 100 million, because they, they said they were stretching it a bit to do that Casado. 100 million. What would you do? Would you sign, go big on a defensive midfielder for 60, 70 million pounds, then bank the rest and just wait till next or January or whenever next summer to then change the squad a bit further because they're going to need a centre back at some point? Mm-hmm. Or would you go, right, well, we know Bassetic is going to come through. We can sign, look to try and somebody for the amount that they were going to sign Lavia for, about 45, 50, and then spend the rest on the centre-back now. I think it all comes down to how much they value Lavia, doesn't it? <coughs> I mean, I think, it, sort of in a sense, obviously, I think we've, we've become sort of, we've been linked with him for, for so long, it feels like now if we don't get Lavia, it'll be a failure. But almost, in a way, I'd respect Liverpool for saying we stick by our £44 million, £46 million valuation if Chelsea want to pay more than that, fine. Because um, it sort of feels now, if Chelsea, if Liverpool go above that sixty million pound figure, they've got egg on the face a little bit. They've just, they've they've paid sort of fifteen million more for for a player than that they've wanted and been linked with and been sort of in a one horse race for all summer. So, um, it depends. Well, does that remind you of Chelsea? Chelsea <laughs> with Casado. So there's a little, there could be a little bit of a 
come back on that yeah, I suspect but um, it's yeah it, it it's a difficult one I mean it, it, the question is is there going to be a Aside from Lavia, who else is there that, that Liverpool can spend sort of 70, 80 million pounds? There's several, there's always players, there's always players. There are, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of defensive midfielders out there that can do a job that's more than good enough yeah, absolutely. for two things. One, to be for, for Bassetic to learn from. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is then they can allow McAllister and stuff as like, oh, whoever, you know, Jones, Harvey Elliott, whoever comes in and plays there, even Thiago to an extent, to just go off and do their thing. They don't have to be like the world's best at the moment. I suppose it it depends on how good Liverpool's scouting network and how comprehensive their list of, of defensive midfielders is, isn't it? Because, you know... Well, the, the other complication is that Andre, isn't it? Because they like him and yeah. they would quite like to sign him, mm-hmm. but he's obviously not in for the start of the season and we're, by all accounts, certainly from Brazil. The Fluminense want us to keep hold of him until they're knocked out of the Copa mm-hmm. Libertadores. Is, it? is that the one yeah, they're in? Yeah, yeah Copa Libertadores. And the next round doesn't finish until the day, is it like August the 30th or something mm-hmm. like that? So they could get knocked out of Liverpool signing. Everything's sorted, but they can't then run the risk of waiting until so, August the 30th and yeah. going, let's just see what this Brazilian team's going to do. I think in years gone by, you, you would have confidence that, that Liverpool were going to do the right thing, whether that be forking out that extra bit of cash for Lavia, whether it be going for someone who isn't even sort of on publicly on their radar yet. You know, we, we know how shrewd some of the business that the club have done over the past sort of five, ten years has been. But I think the last couple of years, we've seen sort of a little bit of a diversion away from the, the tried and trusted policy that, that Liverpool had and and some of the, the brilliant bargains and the brilliant deals that they, they've got done. So, um, I think that there are question marks. There have been question marks. Obviously, George Schmacker is, is only in for for a short time. You know, will he be be the man for the job permanently? Sort of on the balance of what we've seen the last few weeks, probably not. Um, so it it just depends really what what Liverpool have up the sleeve, doesn't it? The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Would you uh, back Big Jorg to to pull an iron out the fire or two? You've got, to, you've got to trust him in the end, haven't you? <laughs> that was just... You feel a bit sorry for him? Because he's been, he's been you know, parachuted into this role and it's probably one of the worst times you've got to become a sporting director yeah. at Liverpool because of the way things have gone. And you've seen with Chelsea, they just, you know, I'm pretty sure in the, in the process of the time that we've done this podcast, they'll have probably tried to sign at least 13 other players. <laughs> so, or is it just, you have to forget about all the other clubs, just concentrate on your own and... As we just mentioned, there's enough players out there. They should definitely be getting at least one person in because you don't want to fall into the trap of, as we just said, leave it to the last minute because Liverpool have shown, even under Michael Edwards, that when they leave things to the last minute, they're not particularly great at that. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because he's obviously only dealt in a small scale with Wolfsburg, but a small scale is the Bundesliga, isn't it? But you just want to be a fly on the wall for them conversation between Klopp and Smackadonia. Obviously, full of laughs judging by how funny everyone says he is but they've been German as well so you, can yeah. you, do you learn any German? no <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it's tough isn't it because there's an element of feeling sorry for him but then this has dragged out since the end of July now hasn't it so and we've always been like sort of teasing the, the price up a little bit but I suppose you're always going to have an egg on your face aren't you when you've been sort of strung along by a championship side you've obviously held to the guns well done the same with Ward Prowse as well so it leaves in a difficult position, but like I said before, if Klopp really wants Lavia, he's going to have to just bite the bullet and 
and go. Jamie, think, sorry, go sorry, on. The issue at the moment is, is no one really knows who to point the finger at, do they? Like, I know obviously FSG come in for a lot of criticism and some of it is completely deserved, but, you know, they've shown that there was money there. So if there has been money there, then, you know, does it come down to, to Schmacker not having a, a comprehensive list? Does it come down to Jürgen Klopp? Maybe we, we know that he's taken a more proactive role in Liverpool's transfer business since the departure of, of Michael Edwards and, and Julian Ward. So it, it almost comes down to from the outside looking in, it doesn't look like Liverpool are as well-oiled a machine behind the scenes as we're used to them being. And I think that's that's the issue, isn't it? And whether that will come back to bite Liverpool, we'll, we'll see, I'm sure, in the next couple of weeks. The other interesting thing is that obviously Liverpool are going to be, whoever they bring in, it's probably not going to be one of their first choices. But Sadio Mane wasn't the first choice by. Mohamed Salah wasn't the first choice by. And I'm pretty sure there's one or two others that... Certainly when Klopp was first getting his feet under the table, he was trying to persuade players to come. And that first summer, didn't have any Champions League football. I think it was Goethe, wasn't it? Didn't want to mm-hmm. come. And the following year, I think, whether it's the same year, there was Mahmoud, who's funny enough, he's at Brighton now, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah he's at Brighton. Um, he's, added, he's not quite Casado's replacement, he's not quite that same type of player, but he's probably McAllister's replacement, actually. Yeah. Uh, there was Mahmoud and there was Julian Brandt as well. He didn't want to come and they signed, they signed Salah instead. So... Again, that's going back to what Beth was saying, is that you've got to put your trust in, in the recruitment team because otherwise Liverpool are going to have some problems because then you go back to the actual squad itself and is the squad going to be convinced by these players that's coming in? Because you know players have all their own opinions and we know that the players that are there, I think, the majority of them know that they should be doing better than they did last season. And so the ones who are coming know that Liverpool should be back in the top four, you know, Sobsly and McAllister. So... They all deserve or, or need somebody of a certain standard to come in because the last thing you want is to spend a load of money on a player who comes in and then instantly everybody goes, this is not going to work. There's always that, that fear of not bedding in as well because obviously they've got to come to a new environment and they've obviously there's a certain style of well, It took Fabinho two to three months, didn't it? And he ended up okay, but they haven't got that time now, have they? Cause, because, mean, because not only did Luke Henderson and, and, the, and the Oscar Fabinho, that's Milner as well, all these players who could play in that position. So it is unusual. So Liverpool's delay is going to be even longer now, so it's... It's a matter of if and when, because we've got not got much time to sort of dwell on it and, and hope you've got to, got to sign him at the end of the day, haven't you? Are you expecting then something to happen? I'll finish on this. Do you expect Liverpool, to, what do you expect will happen in the next, not this week, but before the uh, transfer window closes? I believe on September 1st this year? Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, they've got to get at least a defensive midfielder in, haven't they? Whether that be Romeo Lavia or, or someone else, they've, they've simply they've got no choice but to, to get someone in. Now, whether that person goes on to become you know, the, the next Fabinho and, and helps completely transform Liverpool's midfield, only time will tell, but they've got to do that and I think they've got to bring another defender in as well, whether that be sort of a, a sort of a, a left sided centre back and, and you know, to help the new system, whether it be a right back if, if Trent's now gonna be a, if he, he wants to move full time into midfield. Um, but yeah, they need at least two more players, and I think without that, it's not even a case of two more players to help them compete for the title. It's two more players to help them compete for top four. I think, and I think without that, you know, it's going to be a long old season. Have a think about who you'd want. So I'll come back to you in a minute. Oh no. Um, it's not that question yet. But what do you expect to happen in terms of players coming in? I think because they've sold it so much now, the player has to come in. Mm. Whoever it is, like you said, it could be a fourth, fifth, maybe even tenth choice at this point. But I think they're going to get someone in. Um, it just matters if and when, and if, especially with the transfer window short. And we've got an international break as well, so you've got to be mindful of that. Mm. Um, I think they've got to sign at least one midfielder, but like Beth said, we do need a defender because this time next year we could be in another transfer saga spending upwards of 100 million for a, 
as a young centre back. You've had about thirty seconds. <laughs> um, Decide on your player. Ask will ask you in a I second. I mean, I just well. go and camp outside the Bernabeu and just like heckle Shuameni until he agrees to come to Liverpool. But failing that, um, would you really heckle him? Do you think you might get arrested? Quite possibly, but you is, know, it's worth, worth, a, worth a try. Is it, is it the, worth it though? The way, the, way, is it worth the, it? the way the transfer windows panned out so who's, far. Who's paying for your flight to Madrid? Which PLC? <laughs> <laughs> you can tell um, you've got the yeah, I think, I mean, Liverpool have been linked with, with Xiao Paulinho, very sort of tentatively linked with Xiao Paulinho in the last couple of days. I mean, I, I liked him before last season. I certainly don't think he's worth £70 million. Pounds. Mm. Um, it was £60 million, I think it was. 60 60, million. Yeah. yeah, so again, it, it's whether, you know, the, the positive with him, he's a more senior player. He's had a full season playing in, in the Premier League and, and doing well. So if you're looking for someone to come in and make more of an instant impact and sort of be that destroyer, then, you know, I think he could be an option for the right price. But... Again, would Liverpool be willing to pay sixty million pounds for a twenty-eight? Is he twenty-eight? Twenty-eight, yeah. Twenty-eight-year-old. Um, defensively, I don't actually know really. I think sort of, I, I quite liked um, Timber. who obviously is now at Arsenal. Um, I think you know I'm, I'm surprised that Liverpool didn't pursue that one more, more intently. Um, How much did he cost? How much was 40, it? I won't push one a centre back. Don't worry. Just <laughs> yeah. the defensive midfield. But yeah, I think. Uh, I don't know is Malong that's okay that. fair it's a really okay, long winded way yeah. of saying I don't know but um, Palinia if he was for the right price but not for 60 million I go for Palinia as well on the basis that if you go for Palinia at the right price then you are saying that you think Bersetic can do, do the job, job long term yeah. because then you can just replace him with him and then Palinia become you know I'm not saying he's going to become the Milner or the Henderson but if Liverpool had become successful there's no real reason for him to go anywhere else and because of his age the other leading teams won't really be that one wants to go and get him so I think that could help but then it's whether they like him enough or not the other one is the Crystal Palace guy isn't it? Mm. The um, Trimaney yeah obviously Yeah. but I don't think that's going to be happening no, I mean, and, the, and the, the lad at Benfica who they did get kind of recommended to go and have a look at Florentino Luis he's really expensive as well so but how expensive in this current market? <coughs> well, it's just Benfica, isn't it? They get, they're brilliant. They, 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 they've got to be up there with Daniel Levy, or Levy, or however you pronounce it. With, the uh, Portuguese the, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, get them three together in a, in a transfer saga. They'll be there forever. I know. Anyway, you've had enough time to think now. Which defensive midfielder would you like to see at Liverpool? Paulina. I'm going to sit on the fence with you too. We're going to get absolutely exactly. slated for saying No, we're not. Yeah, we should, we, we, we've, we've explained it yeah. perfectly. He's done very well against us last season on the opening day, didn't he? Yeah. Has he even got one of them? Match? That was a year ago. I can't remember. I could have broken <laughs> yeah. I think that was right. <laughs> I think he did. Yeah. yeah. What was the game? What was the score in the home game? It was one deal, wasn't it? Penalty. Did he play in that one? I don't think, not sure whether he did. I remember that, yeah, you were right. didn't win. Yeah. I remember, <laughs> I remember, yeah, that he did have a good game. I'm thinking, who's this? And I, it was only like months after when I had a look and I was like, is he, he's had all this Portugal international, where's he been playing? So, yeah, not, not so much on, on with Portuguese footballers. <laughs> Perhaps some others are in our office, called Theo Squires. Anyway, um, that'll do us. Um, thank you for listening. Beth, where can we find you on Twitter? Um, at Beth underscore Linda. At underscore Stephen Killam. And you can find me at Theo Squires Echo. <laughs> <laughs> at Ian Dawn Sport, sorry. Yes, uh, so that'll do us. Uh, join us later this week where we'll be looking ahead to the game against Bournemouth. And who knows, maybe Liverpool will have signed a defensive midfielder. Probably not, though. Cheerio. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.